Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. On tonight's episode, we have the conclusion of Master of Fate. Zoraida, Lilith and Pandora have infiltrated guild headquarters, temporarily commandeering the bodies of guild officials in order to carry out their nefarious plans. We're about to find out what fate has in store for them, right after this word from our sponsor. This public service announcement is brought to you by the Guild, who would like to remind you to be ever wary, ever vigilant. Doppelgangers are everywhere in Malifaux, and they can take the form of ordinary human beings. Even human beings you know. If a friend or a family member is acting peculiar, you have a duty to report them to the Guild. Possible warning signs include slight changes in voice or appearance, changes in routine or preferences, furtive behaviour, failure to hold eye contact and general nervousness. You may also notice that your loved one is trying too hard to act normal around you. If you notice any of these signs, please turn them in at Guild Headquarters without delay. Aphrodite Crumplehorn sailed down the broad hallway with all the pomp and self-importance of a battleship returning to its home port. The hallway was, like Miss Crumplehorn, magisterial in its dimensions, and she was able to chart a straight course past the petitioners, applicants, and other hopefuls that dirtied up the place. She paused among a throng of men and women, standing, sitting, and pacing in various states of frustration and fatigue each of them clutching some invention they were hoping would attract the attention of the office of C. Hoffman. A sign on the wall, proclaiming that random spirit photography was now compulsory for all employees to combat the resurrectionist menace, was straightened with a diligent eye. She ran a business-like finger along the top to check for dust, and moved on with a nod to herself. Passing through a set of doors, Guarded since that boiler explosion an hour ago that had killed at least three people in suspicious circumstances, not to mention the sudden rash of suicides, Miss Crumplehorn stopped outside the darkened glass of the dust-bound offices of the Ortegas. The offices were, as ever, empty, as was the clerk's desk outside, but that had not discouraged a few eternally optimistic souls from sitting in the waiting area. She unrolled a new workplace safety sign, affixed it to the board, and step back to admire her efforts. Well, the committee's efforts, but really hers. Has Harold come to work twice today? It demanded, in bold black letters. 
Did Euphemia not remember your name? It may not be the same Harold. It may not be the same Euphemia. Doppelgangers. Confront and confirm. Below that she had added in smaller letters. Doppelgangers may be working in your area. Only your vigilance will ensure the safety of all. Report all doppelgangers to Office 17. Confronting the Neverborn may result in abduction or death. False reporting is an imprisonable offence. Harold and Euphemia were just names chosen at random. She knew one Harold in this office, actually, and he would probably complain about it. In fact, she considered, if he didn't complain, it would be suspicious. She would keep an eye on him. Passing into the East Wing, she paused for a few minutes to have a very pointed discussion with the clerk in the death marshal's office. As ever, voices were hushed beneath the massive portrait of Lady Justice that loomed over the hall. Miss Crumplehorn managed to convey her clear concerns to the judge's secretary about the ballooning budget of the program to build a dedicated underground railway linking all the morgues in Malifaux's hospitals to the cemeteries in the east. The so-called death train would, it was clear, prevent the unacceptable disappearances of corpses between the morgues and the public cemeteries, but she could not fathom why Dr. McMorning's request for a branch line to his office had been approved. Surely the work of the guild coroner, while important, was not of such a level as to require a dedicated track. And in any event, the costings for the concrete were outrageous, a scandal, and would have to go back to committee. Satisfied she had registered her views, she moved on. There was clearly something suspicious about the events of the morning. As dark and brooding sanctioned spellcasters were now guarding key doorways and stairwells, in addition to the usual guild guards. She reached her place of work in the Witch Hunter's Wing. Walking to her offices past the rows of clerks logging finds of artifacts, allegations of arcanist activity, and reports from the field. Fortunately, her status meant she was not exposed to the usual crowd of informants, would-be spies, and amateur treasure hunters waiting and returning, day after day, for an appointment with Sonia Crid or her deputies. But her mouth drew back for a moment, when she saw she had a visitor nonetheless. It was a man dressed like an impoverished circus master, with a bald head and a face like a sharpened weasel. Her two assistants... Mira, a middle-aged Bengali woman with a fountain of thick black hair and impeccable manners, and Preserver Isaac, as grey and grizzled as a retired seaman, his sparse white hair like a frozen gout of steam coming out of his liver-spotted pate, were keeping their heads down as she approached. As well they might, she thought icily. What were they doing letting this mountebank through? Her mood brightened as she sat at her desk and saw that her morning tea service had been delivered. She paused for a moment reaching for something unusual beneath the teapot. What was that? It looked like a rag doll. The pressure in her chest, forcing the breath from her body as a kaleidoscope of colours blotted her sight. Zoraida blinked once, twice, smiled and picked up her focus from beneath the teapot. She looked quickly around, exactly where she'd hoped to be. A wiry old man sat to her left, He'd already picked up a heavy notarial stamp and was hefting it dangerously. Lilith, of course. A woman sat to her right, smiling secretly to herself. She gave Zoraida a wave. Pandora, then. And in front of her... By the crows, she hissed. Blind Jack, what are you doing here? 
The bald man, wearing a faded black suit and tails, looked up at her in alarm and shuffled awkwardly. There was a large hessian sack at his feet. "'Don't know what you mean, ma'am.' His crafty eyes narrowed as he peered at her. "'It's... it's not you, ma'am, is it?' "'Yes,' she snapped, trying to keep her voice down. "'It bloody well is me. Take a proper look at my colleagues, blind Jack.' He did so, squinting and quailing at first Pandora and then Lilith. Oh, no. He bit his lip and winced. Sorry, he whispered. What for? Sarider asked. She could see his true form easily, now she knew to look for it. He looked human, but it was just a glamour. Blind Jack was never born, with an eyeless, noseless face, pale and glowing like the moon under a dark, peaked hood, and a fondness for the souls of greedy and ungrateful children. Blind Jack paused, thinking hard. I don't know, he said at last, trying to face all three of them at once. Whatever you're angry at me for? Zoraida shook her head. He had many shadows under the gas lamps, and one fell across her desk. She stabbed a finger into it, making him squirm. Not that easy, Blind Jack. What are you doing here? Well, he said, shifting uncomfortably in a way that only drew attention to the as-yet-unmentioned sack at his feet. Times are hard, you know. A chap needs money to get by. And living in this city isn't cheap. I mean, my rent alone. Lilith had approached him, stamp in hand, and she snatched a small carved stone figure from the bag. She pushed it in his face, furious. This... This is from the Bloodstone Circle beneath Long Barrel. It is a sacred... You're selling them, exclaims the rider, to the guild? Precious relic. Lilith hissed, ignoring the glances they were starting to attract from the humans in the typing pool outside the office. Carved by... Just one or two, protested Jack. Heirlooms for all Nephilim, ancient bloodlines. That's a big sack, Blind Jack, Zoraida said, trying to shush Lilith. Stolen their birthright. Master sculptors. Five or six? I need the money, Madam Zoraida. And I didn't think anyone would miss them. Priceless artifacts. And the guild pay well for, uh... Blind Jack flinched away from Lilith, whose lips were flecked with foam. Native trinkets. Lilith drew in a deep breath, her face purpling the aged knuckles around the heavy stamp turning white. Native surroundings, warns the rider, releasing Jack's shadow. She noticed with some alarm that Lilith's stamp no longer looked like a stamp and was starting to lengthen, one end turning into bright metal. She'd been afraid of this. Their souls were too powerful for the bodies they were inhabiting, and sooner or later their true forms would emerge. Repeated uses of the spell and strong emotions would certainly speed the process along. Blind Jack, I suggest you take your sack and make yourself scarce. Lilith, it will not overly help us if you were to manifest your great sword right now. Control your feelings. I am sure you can catch up with Blind Jack later and have a proper exchange of views. I'll be exchanging his lungs for burning coals and his bowels for a nest of vipers, Lilith hissed after him as he hurried away. And I'll be doing it with my bare hands. Quickly now, Zoraida said, 
gathering Lilith and Pandora close. The breach will open in storage room B27 in the basement. The guild use it for keeping items of arcane significance, so it will be heavily guarded. The minute we go inside, the alarms will go off. So I need you two to draw attention as far from the basement as possible to give us more time in there, but without getting caught. Pandora giggled and punched Lilith playfully in the shoulder. Isn't that cute? <laughs> She's asking you to be subtle. <laughs> I can be subtle. You would have had better luck bringing Nightmare along instead of her hag, Pandora said, dusting her hands in glee. Give this one to me. A few minutes later, as Ernest Scrippler was cleaning the gas lamps in the stairwell, he found himself thinking of a joke he'd been told that morning. He never laughed at jokes, because he always had a sneaking suspicion people who told them were laughing at him. But now he thought about it, it was possibly the funniest joke he'd ever heard. He started to chuckle. He thought of it again and laughed out loud. A passing group looked up at him on his ladder, and a woman he hadn't noticed before with dark skin and black hair, disappeared around the turn in the stair. He laughed again, and kept laughing. He couldn't stop thinking of the joke. He laughed and laughed, and the ladder swayed, but he kept on, his face turning first red and then blue. As a guild guard was coming to check on him, he suddenly stopped and fell. He was dead before he hit the stone steps, a manic grin on his face. No one noticed Penelope Scrimpersby loosen the bolts, perhaps because no one ever really noticed Penelope Scrimpersby. She left one bolt just in and no more, and tied a length of twine to it. She then stood calmly in the middle of the hall and tugged on the twine. The last bolt on that side popped out, and the giant portrait of Lady Justice, now detached from the wall on one side, pivoted and swung down on her with lethal force. The edge of the mahogany frame struck her just above the neck, while moving faster than a horse at full gallop. Her head flew off and impaled itself on the return lever of a typewriter, which pained loudly and advanced to the next line, while its operator screamed. Zoraida tucked the cloth focus inside the hidden compartment of a mechanical puzzle sphere she'd found among the shelves of items waiting to be catalogued, and went in search of Sonia Crid. She found her a few minutes later, right where she was supposed to be, but had to hide a wobble in her step when she saw who the head of the witch hunters was talking to. Fate often leaves out little details. Miss Crid, she said in as business-like a voice as she could conjure, Miss Ortega, Miss Justice. The trio were standing around a trestle table in one of Sonia Crid's studies. The walls were lined with lead panels. A few reinforced electric lights hung from the ceiling, and the table was piled with open books of varying degrees of antiquity. Zoraida noticed a couple that she made a note to try and purloin at a later date. Zoraida proffered her paperwork and the puzzle sphere to Sonia Crid when the trio noticed her. It trips the thermatograph, ma'am. Nothing significant, but it should be stored in a safe place until you can get a look at it. Sonia gave it a cursory once-over and nodded her head the dull metal of the sphere reflecting in her ever-present mask. The sphere itself was entirely ordinary, and not even of quality workmanship, but the focus inside would make it register on any magical detection scale. That it does, Miss Crumblehorn. She scribbled her signature 
and then made a brief correction before handing it back. That boiler explosion this morning shut down the power to the storage room on C basement. Use B-27 until power is back on. But of course... Pandora met up with Lilith in a quiet corridor on the fifth floor. The ceiling a brick arch, and the walls cold plaster. Shouts came from outside the windows at the far end. That you? Lilith asked with a nod down the hall. Pandora winked. Jumpers always draw the crowd, and it would bring the guards up. Plus you should hear the sound they make when they hit the cobbles. Lilith signaled to her, and they went into an empty office full of dust-covered cabinets and bodies, several of them stacked against the far wall and covered in blood. Letter openers, mail spikes, and other impromptu weapons protruded from their heads. That you? asked Pandora. I left a trail, said Lilith. They'll follow it soon enough. Something's wrong, though. Pandora nodded. Zaraida, you mean? Yes, Lilith spun away, pacing. She doesn't need us. This... She waved her arms. All this is helpful, I'm sure, but anyone could have done it. She doesn't need us. I was wondering the same thing. There's something she's not telling us. There's always something she's not telling us. Pandora gave a smile that was only a little cruel, and a little sad as well. That's the point of her. Her lies keep us at arm's length, which is just where she wants us. It should go on not telling us until she needs to. She wagged a finger at Lilith's surprised expression. I may act a little crazy now and again, but I'm not stupid. You know none of us can do what she does. Protect this word in the way she does. We need her. Fate obviously needs her. Malifaux certainly does. So if she wants to... Wait. Pandora raised a finger to her lips, staring at the wall and then the door. Speak of the devil. The door creaked open and Zoraida came in, shutting it behind her. That's a singular definition of subtle, my dear, she said, eyeing the blood-splattered bodies. But it will work to our benefit. The place is in almost complete uproar. They're on the trail you left, leading them up here. And the focus should be arriving in the basement any minute now. So it's time we were leaving. She held up a wait-for-it hand. This departure I am particularly proud of. There was a knock at the door. Zoraida opened it a crack. A man in workman's clothes stood there, holding a box and a note. He waved the note at them. It says to deliver this here, and I get to keep my job, so here you go. Zoraida took the box from him. Wait there, my son. She opened the box. A gilt peacebringer pistol lay inside. She pulled it out, cocked it, and swung the door wide open. As the man saw the pile of bodies and took a step back, she put a bullet in Lilith's head, one in Pandora's, and then smiling at the man, one in her own. Third time is the charm. The moment we arrive, my dears, simply draw your pistol and shoot anyone who hasn't drawn theirs. What could be simpler? The Catherine Wheel of Colors the now familiar, oddly personal tugging in the guts, blinking once, twice. A freezing and dark stone hallway lit by gas burners, Zoraida saw six guild guards, including her. A heavy iron door across from her read B-27, 
embossed on a stained bronze plaque. A delivery trolley beside her carried a metal puzzle sphere. Zoraida's hand reached for the holstered gun with its former owner's training, and as she drew and emptied the chamber into the startled guardswoman standing to the right of the door. Her companion fell at the same time, chest bursting in red stars as Pandora's bullets hammered home. Neither of the humans had any time to react, and their hands had been barely halfway to their own pistols when they died. Their gunfire had masked the sound of Lilith's, and the third and final guard already lay expiring in a pool of her own blood. Lilith finished her with a boot heel to the throat. The breach is already opened, Zoraida said, hunting through her own uniform and the dead guards until she found the keys. She hesitated a moment before unlocking the door. There was no more to be done. She would be tested, here and now. Was she equal? She had to hope so. And she had done what she could to prepare for the other possibility. The storeroom has powerful wards, so the energies of the breach's opening will not have escaped. But the minute I open this door, the biggest and loudest alarms in the guild will go off. We will not have much time. She unlocked the iron door, and the three of them went inside. The breach had destroyed most of the large vault ceiling room. And what had once been heavy shelving and stacked crates lay splintered and charred on the rough flagstone floor. Even some of the pillars had cracked, and flakes of stone the size of boulders had peeled off the nearest. The only light came from the breach itself, the edge glowing as softly pulsing green, giving faint highlights to the shattered and twisted remains of the storeroom's artifacts and casting shadows of deepest blackness behind all things. Through the breach lay a midnight garden. Stars sparkled in the cold spring sky, and a gentle breeze that swayed the tops of the yew trees brought the scent of lavender and jasmine. The little details. The smell alone nearly broke her, and knowing that if she faltered once she was done for, Zoraida stepped through. The crossing was nowhere near as eventful as her first one had been. She felt a nerve-jangling jolt, as if her whole body was a tongue that had just been dipped in vinegar, and then it faded. As with everything, there was no time like the first time. She paused. Lilith and Pandora had not followed. I need you both. What I have to do is not easy. I need you with me to remind me what I'm fighting for. That is not Malifaux, Lilith said. Zoraida shook her head. That it isn't. He lied to us, Pandora said before adding, told you, out of the corner of her mouth to Lilith. Not about everything. Are you surprised? You really shouldn't be, you know. Not if you've been paying attention, dearie. We're all pawns in someone's game. Where is that? Zoraida turned and pointed. A farmhouse of sorts. In the middle of nowhere, but at the center of all things. That's not an answer. No. Leave me some secrets. Are you coming? You'll be fine, although the crossing might tickle. Is it Earth? Pandora asked, with a look both fearful and excited. She was in the body of a young woman quite similar to her own appearance, although Zoraida knew that could simply be her soul rewiring her stolen body to match what it was used to. 
It would happen to all three of them much quicker this time. She could already feel the body she was in aging, the skin crinkling and the bones tightening like logs drying in a kiln. It's okay to be afraid, she said to Lilith, knowing the effect her barb would have, and walked across the goat crop grass towards the house, its rough stones and timbers squat and black in the starlight. In the shadow of a rhododendron bush, she stopped and waited for the others. The truth, she said, looking them both in the eye when they finally joined her. Pandora was almost a spitting image of herself now, her hair falling past her waist, and had it been daylight, no doubt as red as the devil herself. Lilith, too, long-limbed and powerful, with dark eyes that made the night feel colder. In a few minutes, a woman will come out of that house at a crossroads. She will be stupid and selfish and greedy and ambitious. She will also be in pain, vulnerable, and all alone in the world. And right there, Zoraida pointed to a bare patch of dirt. Right there, she will find something that changes her fate and sends her off down a very different path and to a very far off place. Something wonderful and mysterious and beautiful lying there as if left there just for her. She stopped. She found she could say no more. She sat on a cold stone, took the cloth focus and tore it open, taking out the soul stone that lay hidden within. She had been carrying this with her for a long time. This, she whispered, her throat raw. There's no ordinary breach we came through, Lilla said. Where are we? No, my dear, the correct question is when. Zoraida gathered herself again. She was explaining it to them, but the words were for her. You must understand, if this does not happen, if this woman does not find this very special soul stone, then, my dears, we will never meet. Her plans at Kythera will never have been. The grave spirit would have been unleashed. So much else that has been done will never have happened. There will have been no one there to see to it. The threads of fate wind everywhere, and sometimes they wind backwards into the past. There is nobody else who can do this, my dears, and so it falls to me. What should happen must The sharp counterbite of the lavender came again on the breeze, the wax paper rustling of the yew trees overhead. Perhaps it had all been worth it just for this. Then you must, said Pandora. Lilith nodded. These matters are too great, too important. It is a sore thing that is asked of you, but those who lead do what they must, always. Zoraida stood her new old knees aching in familiar protest. The woman was a foolish one. She got what she deserved. Come, I will leave this and we will go. She found the patch of dirt and placed the soul stone just where it needed to be. As she walked away, a sudden impulse made her look back at the farmhouse. She froze on the night black grass. 
Candlelight flared from an upstairs window. Emily's window. Go, don't think. Brave, bold Emily. Just carry on. But she did not. A young girl moved in black silhouette against the light. Fate, I am doing what you asked. Do not ask any more, I beg you. She felt the stars dim to blackness, as if a cataract had come over the world. The girl's hands were moving in familiar patterns. No. That was a pattern of conjuring. A basic one, but she had the motions just right. The flowing patterns came to a fluid end, and there was something small and fluttering in the girl's hands where nothing had been before. So she had the talent too, and had hid it well all those years but it would not stay hidden forever. That is what fate was showing her. Consequences. The others in the house, the rider knew, could never understand. They had banished one witch already. Indeed, were they not doing so right now, hurling hate at the witch discovered in their midst as the young girl, oblivious, played in her room upstairs? They would doubtless banish Emily, too, when they learned. Cast out. In this of all places. How would one so young survive? Fate, you've known this all along, and you have brought me here to see it. Truly, I curse you to the darkest depths of hell. No. She had always told herself Emily would be better off alone. But it turned out that was just another self-serving lie, a blindness. The truth was she was about to be, had been, abandoned to a terrible fate at the hands of the people in that farmhouse. Zoraida could and would condemn herself to any suffering, but she could not leave the girl to that fate. No. She took a step back towards the soul stone. You cannot change this, said Lilith, stopping her with a hand on her shoulder. The woman's touch was light, but there was iron in that grip. It is decided. No. Just this once, I tell fate no. Leave the stone and come away, Zoraida. Pandora was right behind her as well, a forbidding undercurrent in her voice. They did not understand. Zoraida did not have time to make them. The starlight cast the faintest of shadows, but it was enough. She pinched the shadow under Lilith's hand and flicked it away. Lilith stumbled back with a cry, her head bruised and twisted. Pandora reached for her, and Zoraida set her ablaze with witch fire. As Pandora reeled in pain, Zoraida unleashed the pulse of raw power and hurled the other two away. She turned and raced for the stone. Roots burst from the ground and clung to her feet, sending her sprawling in the grass. The roots writhed, and Lilith burst from beneath them, a look of utter fury on her face. She tore a long root free and it lengthened in her hand to become her greatsword. Their souls had completely rewritten their borrowed forms now but they could only last minutes before the forces tore the spell apart and sent them back to the hut. 
So the rider could feel Pandora assailing her mind. But it was a distraction at best. Pandora would be buying time to manifest her damned box, and that could really hurt her. Time for a distraction of her own. Lilith swung her sword back in a great arc, but her gaze wavered as the rider played with her perceptions. I am no longer lying before you, I am standing right beside you. Lilith's eyes refocused on Pandora, her stance altered, and suddenly the massive sword was sweeping around at her instead. Alarm flashed across Pandora's face, but the young woman was supernaturally fast. The sword halted inches from her neck, its momentum stolen through sheer force of will. The wave of force crashed over Lilith and drove her back with another cry of pain. Zoraida could not free herself from the roots, but she had one trick left. Her body shimmered, as if seen in a cheap mirror, and then she was gone, and a raven darted up in a flurry of feathers. Pandora opened her box, but Zoraida was already flying low over the grass, her claws outstretched. She grabbed the stone and flapped off over the yew trees. Circling, she saw Pandora and Lilith racing for the breach as the bark door of the farmhouse opened, and a woman ran out. She stopped at the patch of dirt. But there was no soul stone there. The threads of fate started to unravel. Invisible to everyone but Zoraida, the heavens glowed and the land twisted. Fate and time tearing at one another, sundering in a silent crack of thunder. Time broke its banks, flooded out and flowed in new directions. Zoraida felt herself pulled along, her memories, her thoughts, her life itself being rewritten. Emily rescued. The farmhouse burning. A new life by a lake. Years whirring by fast and slow, blurring into a kaleidoscope of new memory. She had done it. She had bested fate. Vineyards heavy with crop. Walking the peak, sketchbook in hand. Children splashing by the lakeside. A cup of wine and a warm peat fire as the snow fell. Happy. Deliriously happy. Delirium. Pandora opened her box. No. Pandora opened her box. But now she had thought it. The thought could not be ignored. It clamoured at her mind, insistent and ugly. Pandora opened her box. The illusion shattered around her. Pandora opened her box. The lake drained, the peaks crumbled, the children silenced, the wine turned to dust. Pandora opened her box. Zoraida was already flying low over the grass, her claws outstretched. Blades of misery tore at her, shredding feathers and skin, her blood spraying black in the starlight. She crashed into the ground, bouncing and rolling. Her true shape returned and she sprang to her feet, defying the pain in her bones. The stone was right there, right in front of her. The woman would be coming out in seconds. Pandora had nearly beaten her, but she still had just enough time. Her hand stopped inches from the soul stone as Lilith's sword pierced her from behind. She could only gaze in anguish at the bloodied blade protruding from her belly. Then strong hands were on her. The blade was pulled out and agony flooded in, and she was being dragged or carried back to the breach. Her vision was growing dark, 
and she did not know if it was the pain or the death of this body or the end of the world itself. She tried to cry out, but only blood rose up. She saw the candle in the window, the girl lost in her conjuring. She saw the back door of the farmhouse open, and a woman run out from light into dark. She saw the glittering glow of the mysterious and beautiful soul stone lying in the patch of dirt, beckoning promises of a life to be. No. Zoraida's whisper was as cracked and dry as her lips, and no louder than a breath. The woman paused and looked around. Had she heard? Zoraida tried again with everything she had, but the pain was like a hole in the world, and there was no more breath left in her. Her lips moved, but no sound came. The woman picked up the soul stone as the rider was carried back through the breach. Her dying body lay on unfeeling stone as the breach collapsed. Its collapse unleashed a pulse of energy that annihilated everything in the storage room. The green glow turned to braided light of every color, and the searing pain in her belly turned to a familiar tugging. Zoraida sat up, blinking in the shadows of her hut. Lilith and Pandora stood, faces grim and heads bowed. None of them looked at the others for a long time. That was a foolish thing you did, Lilith said, breaking the silence but I can understand why. Yours is a difficult road. Know that I bear you no ill will. You understand nothing, Zoraida rasped. Get out! No one moved. Get out! What did you see? Pandora whispered. The box had you, just for a moment. What did you see? Zoraida clutched a hand to her breast. Is that all it was? Just a moment? A heartbeat. A wing beat, sang Pandora. Your heart with wings beat. What did you see? Zoraida shook her head. Nothing. Nothing of any consequence. It was just a moment after all. You have to hand it to her, said Pandora to Lilith. She did it. Are you mad? Lilith answered. We stopped her. We won. We saved this world from a disaster. Don't flatter yourself, Lilith. It's why she needed us along on this one. She knew what was at stake. If she couldn't go through with it, we were the only ones who could stop her. That's it, isn't it? We were your backup plan in case something went wrong. In case you weren't strong enough to do what had to be done. Your schemes have gotten so good, you can even beat yourself. Zoraida walked slowly over to the door. What little strength she had, barely enough. And spat on the floor. Go, she said. Fate chose well when it picked you. Pandora said, and left, Lilith following behind. In a few moments they were gone from the clearing, leaving just their little hut on stilts, squatting at the heart of the bayou.
That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.